It's easy to recycle a fluorescent lamp in a clean and safe way. Simply put the used fluorescent lamp into an empty box or the box of the new fluorescent lamp before depositing it into the collection box so that the used lamp can be held safely. Recycle clean. Wrap fluorescent lamps before recycle. For details, please visit www.epd.gov.hk. Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I continue with Paul Chan of Walk in Hong Kong on the death and life tour in Shengwan. Paul will be giving this tour on December the 14th. We take up from last week at the Kuang Fuk Temple, where wooden tablets are kept of people who died there. These tablets until recently were being claimed by descendants to take the souls of their ancestors home. It's been like they, they lost the trace of their ancestors for decades for, for 30 or 50 years and then come back and manage to to get connected to the to their ancestors which is quite remarkable while we've been talking here one gentleman's come in with three large joysticks uh, they used to burn the incense to somehow hope to get the blessings of the god for this chamber and all these red spirits so they burn the incense and then walk around and so that to um, to ensure that all these precious uh, soul all these soul or hablet uh, hapless spirits uh, can get the equal amount of blessing from the from the god. But back in the 1850s, 60s, when you, as you say, you had political upheaval on the mainland, these people came uh, to work in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and uh, what a desperate situation, feeling that they're going to die or they're ill, and uh, they would come to the temple here in order so that there at least a wooden tablet could be kept mm-hmm. uh, for their relatives. So I suppose for many, I'm looking at it with some sadness, really, but for many it would have been a sense of relief. Yes, um, and, and that's the reason why this uh, temple is called 100 Surname Temple, because it's open to all, uh, regardless of your surname and background. Basically, don't, no, one, no one really cared about them before, before the establishment of this hall and the introduction of this surface. If we, if we look at the religious folklore beliefs and all the rituals in the mainland Chinese, some of them still um, uh, were being practiced today. That feature prominently in, in, these, in these rituals because we assume that um, we are surrounded by many restless spirits and therefore, for, for example, we need to um, hold some annual ritual during the uh, Hungry Go Festival. We pay tribute to the god, but at the same time, we show our compassion Trust the uh, red spirits that lingering around uh, around us, and for all the funeral related affairs, we often assume that uh, for the descendant they need to show their filial piety to their ancestors, and therefore you have a very elaborate range of paper offerings, which with all the items that take care um, your 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 ancestors, your parents. Uh, uh, in every aspect of your life. So you provide money, you provide furnitures, uh, you provide entertainment, and sometimes you even provide um, a partners or like girlfriends and boyfriends <laughs> <laughs> to the deceased. Uh, to keep them company, how lovely. Uh, yeah, I think uh, it's interesting how death is regarded in different societies. There's an element of spookiness about it. There's an element of these restless spirits, which is not always a, a relaxed way of, of feeling, but yet looking after your ancestors or looking after your relatives as they pass over to the afterlife. But, uh, you know, it's interesting also that in many cultures we don't discuss death. Death is uncomfortable, yet it's going to happen Mm. 
to yeah. us all. It's inevitable, but uh, somehow uh, it's not something that's readily talked about. Mm. Yet, like in many other cultures, here is a system, here's a ritual, and uh, that hope helps those that are left behind. The name of the temple is called Hundred Sunim Temple, but his formal name is called Kuang Fok Ancestral Hall. Now people can readily come in here? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, open, it's open daily and um, visitors are welcome to go um, to visit the temple and also the inner chamber with all the wooden tablets. Now, I mean, obviously people can make a donation as well. Who actually finances it these days? Uh, right now it's managed by um, Tonghua Hospital. Um, and this, 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 um, this hall this hall is indeed closely uh, linked to the birth of Tonghua Hospital. It, it triggers a physical cycle because if you are going to die, then you will come here. So you can imagine this hall is um, protected by like living people, sick people, and dying people and corpse. And the hygiene is so bad that the once the, the official of public health of the colonial government came to here and do an inspection and say, "Oh, come on, what? Uh, it's in a miserable, it's a horrible state." The government once um, decided to demolish the, this place, but then the Chinese elites um, counterproposed and okay, uh, we are going to improve. And then why don't we simply build? More established Chinese hospital for the for all for the Chinese community, and that's the reason why they uh, comes out the Tonghua Hospital uh, were established in the year 1870. The Tonghua Hospital in the, just um, a street close to us, and then the the medical part uh, moved to here, but this hall still kept uh, up to today. So we're just heading out of the temple along Taiping San Road. Uh, we are talking about like. 18, 1850s, 60s. In the year 1880s, um, there's another wave of migration or human trafficking. A Mayan Chinese were being cheated and sold to foreign countries, notably to the US, uh, some even as far as to Latin America and Africa. Um, and they were sold for hard labor. Um, by was, whom? Um, by the Chinese, um, I would say the like agents. The, the agent for uh, handling these these sales of human male labors, and many of them were cheated and then basically died overseas because of the because of the hard work in the mine in the minefields and in the construction. And again, the same uh, problem disturbed the disturbed the Chinese that they they would die overseas and they even died further away from their hometown. So uh, what the Tong Hospital did, they they did another service which simply which further stretch your concept of benevolence. They use Hong Kong as a hub and build up a global transport network, uh, not for goods, but for coffin and corpse. So Hong Kong become the center point. They, um, they connected with the different Chinatown uh, of different, different countries and arranged the delivery of corpse, of corpse and coffin by ship, uh, by shipment. And when the coffin came to Hong Kong, um, they were arranged to be uh, placed on the small vessels or small boats and shipped back to their hometown so that the, their, their, their corpse or their body remain really went back um, to their hometown. And we have say in Chinese, we, we say that the fallen leaves to return to his roots. And this, um, and in order to, to effect the whole thing, you can see how uh, Tonghua Hospital did a great deal in doing this and achieving this. And this very, it's very difficult if you uh, imagine we don't have telecommunication. Um, they arrange all these delivery by letters. If you dig into the, the archive of Tonga Hospital, then you'll find all the, let, all the letters right to the Chinatown, like for example in San Francisco, saying in which they are going to send like 60 corps from, from there and please, um, please receive it 
please um, be prepared for the deli delivery. Uh, without telecommunication, they do this all by letters. Yeah, and um, and for for the past century, about a hundred thousand cops were shipped back to their hometown in this way. And Hong Kong, Hong Kong became the halfway house. The halfway house uh, we call it Coven Home. Uh, we're, we're now in, uh, in present day uh, Mount Davis, and that Coven Home is still functioning. It's still operating. I was going to say, I mean, it's, we, we do uh, still have plenty of people who probably can't afford their own funerals. Um, and do you actually have anybody in other countries that need to be shipped home ever? No one has that need uh, nowadays. But many, many corporate friends in Hong Kong, because like uh, like in the old time when they shipped to Hong Kong, but the staff in Hong Kong can't locate in their hometown. So the cops are uh, stationed in Hong Kong. They're so close to their hometown, but they can't arrange delivery. So if you go to the cop home in Mount Davis, you'll find quite a number of these uh, these somehow stranded stranded uh, body parts in in Hong Kong, and they uh, and they will not place uh, another uh, interesting practice is that they won't place the coffin on the ground because once um, once they touch the ground, it means that somehow they were. Uh, lock or they need to stay in here. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you'll see um, these coffins uh, were somehow supported by two wooden planks stationed above the ground. So it's a quite interesting sight to take a look in the, in the, in the coffin home. Um, right now, Hollywood Road become one of the hippest places place in Hong Kong. But just several decades ago, um, it's rather gloomy because uh, the, the, the whole Hollywood Road uh, in particular, this section has been lined with coffin shops indeed. Uh, right now, we only, uh, most of them are gone. Uh, we have only, uh, we have only five coffin shops uh, right now. So this is Tin Sao Burial Services Limited. We've got a variety of different types of rather ostentatious, uh, coffins here. And, uh, but in general, so you're saying that, that a lot of these coffin shops have gone. It's, it's a sign of Hong Kong at the moment that as these areas get gentrified, yeah. uh, you've got more cafes, uh, coming in and, and boutiques and, uh, yeah. boutique hotels yeah. as well. Yeah. So um, it, but, it, it, but where do people go now? Most of them, um, like this, um, uh, one, uh, one clusters in Hongham. Hong uh -huh. and then you'll find some scattered one in different part in in Kowloon and uh, in Kowloon and Hong Kong, and basically in the old in the old district and neighborhood. But for this um, for this section, it's quite interesting because you you will see two coffin shops uh, being sandwiched by um, on one side on the anchor by Anglican Anglican Church group, and on the other side is a very famous uh, it's a very um, high end high end um, restaurants, and you'll find also in the same street um, galleries. Uh, but on the next is a barbecue, uh, pork, barbecue pork shop. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a really interesting mix, uh, mix of shops. So, um, for, for these coffee home, um, you're all welcome to, to go inside and take a look if you, um, if you don't find it too spooky. And, um, for, for this shop, um, there's another interesting feature that, um, that worth our attention. We are now running out of columbarium niches. Um, right now, right now, most of most of the corpses are cremated and burned into ashes. But uh, we are running out of columbarium niches. So, for many, um, you need to queue for if you want to uh, apply for public columbarium place. You need to apply, and somehow the queue can you you can wait up to several years. And some descendants don't want to place the the ash uh, of their of the ancestors at their home, and therefore. Suddenly, a, a kind of business emerged, and there's the halfway house for this and columbarium niches. And for these coffin shops, you'll find that, like in the back corner, 
of this coffee shop, you'll find it um, it open a storage area uh, which serves as the halfway house of these columbarium niches, and we can actually go inside. So you'll find all the bags, red bags of um, of ashes, um, which uh, somehow temporarily stored here. Uh, once they got the the niches, then the the descendant would come here and then pick them up. But for some of these um, these bags, um, it tells a sad story. Uh, some of these old people um, were somehow um, their, their, their descendants of their, their son and daughter uh, decided not to take care of them and even won't take care of them after life. So um, once, they were, one, once they died, um, they were cremated and the ashes were left unattended. And these, um, these shops were, because they, um, they were in, in, in the death trade, and somehow it's a kind of compassion. It's a compassion trait. So they decide to keep it here um, somehow forever. Uh, and then they would do. They would burn the incense and pray for the blessings for them uh, every day. So there's a it's a kind of I would say social service yes. uh, by these by these uh, funeral funeral related traits. Right now, all the funeral procedure happen in funeral parlor. Um, it's stipulated by law. But in the in the old time, all the funeral happens in the in basically happen in the home. And just imagine that the um, for all the for most of the Chinese, they live in the um, the ch old Chinese tenement building uh, with only two to three story high. And without any lift, so uh, after the someone died, um, then they will take the remains, the corpse, um, into the home, and assemble a coffin inside the home, and then place the corpse in the in the in the uh, in the coffin, and do all the and then do all the uh, all the rituals. But then the puzzle came: uh, how can they how can they bring out the coffin out of their home? If you if you again take out the uh, take out the remains, then it would be a huge disrespect um, to the to the um, ancestors. They think of a very genius method, and that is they build up temporary scaffold just outside the home, so that they can simply take all the whole coffin out from the cabin. That's uh, extraordinary. The We're looking at a photograph. When would you say that's from? About 50s, I would say 50s or 60s. So they actually construct bamboo scaffolding outside. Yeah. And then so that they can they can take out the whole coffin with the together with the with the body parts uh, from the balcony or from the, from the window and then move it uh, move it to the ground. My thanks to Paul Chan of Walk in Hong Kong, giving me a taste of the death and life tour in Shengwan. The tour is from 10:30 a.m. to 12:30 on Sunday, December the 14th. Go to the Walk in Hong Kong website at www.walkin.hk. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. Hong Kong Heritage, uh, produced and presented by Annery Evans on your station, RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. How are policies formulated? How should the government allocate its resources in the budget? Boost the economy. Meet housing needs. Care for the elderly. Or should we focus on education? Healthcare and the environment. Make your voice heard. Share your views on the Policy Address and Budget Consultation website at www.policyaddress.gov.hk or call our hotline 
Sunday evening, time now for more reflections from Asia with Harvey Stockwin. Why has Taiwan got real democracy? And why is Hong Kong unlikely to get it? In the wake of the recent local elections on Taiwan, a double paradox has become more obvious. On the one hand, because Taiwan is fast developing a real democracy, Hong Kong becomes even more unlikely to do the same thing. On the other hand, because Hong Kong will be prevented from developing a real democracy, it becomes the more likely